Come on, there we go. Welcome everyone. And sorry if you put your yeah. hand up and don't come don't come up very quickly. Uh, the raise hand accept situation on Discord doesn't seem to be uh, getting any better. Welcome, Craig. Recording. Um, happy to kick off with a key summary and the SIPs in progress. Unless there's any objections, I know we've got a couple of other things we wanted to cover today. Sounds good. Priorities haven't shifted much from last week at all. Atomic swaps, debt migration, V3 and perps. Probably tired of hearing me say those. That's still what's, uh, what's in progress. Uh, V2X, I don't think we've got Mark here, so I'll run through that. Most importantly, coming up next week is escrow liquidations, SIP 252. Reminder that is only escrow liquidations for forced liquidations. A, uh, you can't self-liquidate escrow. And 267 and 268, which I'm sure we'll touch on today, curve integration and direct integration should be going to auditors probably sometime next week. Thanks to Mark for cranking through those. Um, if there weren't any questions about V2X. We do have the illustrious, wonderful Noah here to talk about V3. Cool, yeah. Um, yeah, so we spoke with the auditors this morning and they are um, getting into 301. Um, the way they're thinking about it is uh, they want to tackle like uh, 302 through 305 um, for uh, like as a unit, um, but it's still going to take us a little while to get that all um, ready for them. And obviously like through the governance process more broadly. So we're going to have some like pre-audit discussions with them over the next couple of weeks to get them ramped up. Um, so we can keep the ball rolling there. And then in parallel, we're working on the tooling and the architecture, which is sort of captured in SIP uh, 307. So, um, yeah, everything's moving ahead pretty steadily. I think we should probably schedule a presentation again for um, uh, 302 for next week. Uh, that's uh, DB is basically wrapped up a draft implementation of virtually everything. Um, I've been moving through all that code um, with Ethernet, sort of cleaning things up, working on the docs and the interface to see where we stand. And then, um, yeah, we, we can sort of bring it back up with governance and, like, sort of um, reassess all the product decisions and make sure everyone's on the same page uh, before we hand it off to, for audit. Um, so, yeah, I can share um, a couple... Uh, um, pages from the docs that are still very much work in progress, but sort of reflect where all of that stands right now. Um, and yeah, I think that covers it. And so did I hear you say that you'll schedule another presentation coming up soon? Yeah, I think we should probably uh, chat about 302 Again, at some point next week, uh, I'll share the docs related to where, where the draft implementation stands right now, and then we can um, we can go from there.
Thanks, Noah. No one's jumping in on with three questions uh, yet, so I'll move on. Um, Purpose V2, we're looking at how we can release the Purpose V2 scope um, as soon as possible, um, as well as uh, getting a draft SIP together. Not having that draft SIP um, has probably caused a little bit of confusion in the past, so uh, we've got on the task of getting that together, as well as um, putting some resourcing on perps and V3, knowing that our perps, uh, the V3 will need a perps implementation um, and that our V3 um, architecture needs to understand how well we're essentially running two streams of resourcing on, um, on perps to clear up some of the confusion that may have happened in the in the um, Spartan Council conversation. And what do you plan on the Perps um, V2 SIP containing? Um, there is there is a number of features that um, have been discussed, um, and they're mainly improvements um, around fees and uh, funding rate. So. That is, that has been discussed a fair bit. Um, was a bit of a drop not to have a, a sit put together yet. I think we asked Afif to have that over the next couple of days and he said yes. But Pretty, sure we asked. Pretty sure we said to have it done last week by Friday. It, I think that it, was the agreement. Yeah. It's, it's done. It's just that we've had a bit of a resource shuffle. And so I'm working with the new people who have been assigned to it to kind of find out Make what sure we're going to happy with immediately. It. Yeah, like make like make sure we have like a, a a good feasibility check done, and basically like we have a, an estimated expedited timeline that we want, and anything that will push us material materially past that timeline, we just won't make it into this cool. release. But um, yeah, okay, I basically gotten um, at least a preliminary yeah. estimate that a few of the core features that are most important will be will be feasible in less than like uh, a two month timeline. Um, okay. So yeah, I think the, I'll have it. I'm shooting for an official step uh, written that has had some preliminary feasibility done, um, like by tomorrow or Monday. Awesome. Okay. Cool. Good deal. Thank you. Yep. I'm gonna need you to come in on Saturday. <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you set yourself up there. Friday or Monday? Come on. What the fuck? You think weekends don't exist? What's happening? <laughs> Last one wrapping up. Staking V2. New designs, new UI components, and tooling well underway. Might have seen the odd leak here or there. Um, over the next couple of weeks, expect to have that live. Uh, I think a bunch of people have already noticed some under-the-hood speed and bug improvements, so keep a lookout for the next uh, couple of screenshot leaks as that finishes up. That's all for the scheduled updates uh, from the product side. Uh, if I may, regarding um, V3 and specifically 301 being in audit, 
I'm just curious on the rollout of that because like the nature of 301 is kind of changing fundamental fundamentally staking and if it's in audit is it correct to assume that if audit goes well it's it will be on on the way for a release and if that is true how exactly would such a release work like does it require like are there some preconditions to be met for for such release is it a full migration from current SNX staking one so I'm just generally curious on the rollout of, of V3 and specifically with you know, 301 being sent to audit already. Yeah, yeah. So um, we were the the, the first um, like to actually get stuff into production. Like 300 through 307 needs to happen sort of all at once. The the tentative plan now is that we can sort of swap out the staking side of things and um, back all of the existing exchange functionality and since and markets through um, what we're calling a legacy market. Um, so yeah, th- uh, 301 is able to go into audit because it's fairly isolated. It's, it's just sort of like the, um, authentication system in a way, um, that doesn't really interact with the specifics of the, uh, synthetics product. So the auditors are comfortable taking a look at that, um, as, as sort of an isolated unit. Um, and by the way, it's not like we'll be able to roll that out without, without the rest of the, uh, pieces together. Uh, but it won't be connected to the system, or or will it be? No, no, it'll be like um, the idea is well, the the first uh, uh, we're calling it sort of the collateral migration um, will involve rolling out three hundred through three hundred seven. Um, it's not like we'll just have the accounts thing uh, roll out and connect to V two X. Yeah. So with that in mind, I guess maybe it would help me to see something like a migration SIP. Does that make sense? Like this, if it, it if it entails any technically. Yeah. So that's that's 306. Um, we we probably want to. I should probably take a look at that and make sure it's still um, like up to date and re- reflects the current thinking. But uh, yeah, 306 captures. It, it should be fairly close to what we're um, envisioning for the first step of the migration. Nice. Thanks for that. And the the final question there is: Does debt merge need to happen before the the V3 release? Like, it, I would assume it probably makes things a lot easier than having to release V3 on chain. Yeah, I, I think we're we're anticipating that that's going to happen first. I, I think we could um, probably move forward with 306 without that happening first, but um, you know things are moving quickly, so you know we'll we'll sort of uh, adjust plans accordingly. Thanks, Noel. Could you give, like, a time estimate for migration? Like, maybe, I know it's hard to say, but, like, uh, best case and a worst case and a medium case for a B3 migration? Yeah, I mean, estimating software timelines is notoriously impossible, but I, we, we've been saying loosely end of year, and I think that still feels realistic. Um, but again, that, that first... Uh, the, so the first so month, that's like three three months for full Yeah, uh, yeah roughly, yeah. But again, th- this is just on the on the staking side of things, and then it, it, like the, the staking side will still um, sort of plug in and back pieces of V2X initially. Um, you know, I guess we're, we're going to talk about the... Um, uh, plans for, uh, new versions of perps markets. So we could potentially plug that in, um, 
like alongside uh, back in the legacy markets. And uh, I, I don't know if now it makes time. Now is the time to get into the details on this. But but the goal is that at least on the staking side of the protocol, we'll be able to be on V3 by the end of the year. And related to that, uh, the the new staking tab does it already include any V3 func functionalities? So is that also tied together with the V3 release? Um, yeah. So there, there's a lot of different um, sort of work streams happening, and we didn't want to make improving the current um, V2X staking app uh, dependent on the V3 launch because there are still, you know, I'm saying end of year, but there's still a lot of unknowns. Um, so at, we currently have um, sort of one and a half, I would say, uh, front-end developers working on um, a sort of minimal, like, prototype staking app for V3. But we're going um, we're, to we're, – we're sort of in touch with everyone. It's sort of like trying to land a plane here where um, I think it, it should be realistic to also just make small updates to the new um, V2X staking designs to accommodate the V3 interface. Um, but again, things are still things are sort of touch and go right now. I think we've like just about finalized what the interface, the smart contract interface, is going to be for uh, like V3 staking. So um, yeah, we'll, we'll have more clarity on that over the course of the next couple of weeks. All right, again. Okay. Sounds like we've wrapped up work in progress discussions and what's coming up. Uh, so we've got a couple of guests today. Happy to hand over to the council for discussions. Well, I don't know if you want to start with the conflict, and I'm, I'm fine with that, but the other topic probably address is all, I guess we've kind of been a victim or of uh, us insisting to, to discuss everything publicly and we managed to create some FUD discussing the potential of atomic swaps creating, as it was put, toxic debt. So I definitely think we should follow up on that uh, since, you know, the prior discussion was public and just see if we can provide a brighter outlook. And with that in mind, I, I think Caleb had a second look, look into the data. I don't know if you want to share some thoughts or maybe a fifth does. Well, I think maybe uh, we'll let um, Watson yeah. and Paul speak first, yeah. and then we can get to the extra business. Does that sound okay to everybody? Yep. Okay, Watson or Paul. Or... Great. Yeah, thanks, Afif. Uh So, yeah, as you all may know, we put up another set of parameter recommendations, SCCP 225. Um, we'll have Watson kind of go through our recommendations and our rationale there. So, Watson, I'll hand it over to you. Yeah, sure. Um, so I guess to to sort of tee up the the um, paramrec and give a bit of background on uh, the recent developments, the things we've added to our model, and the the reason why we came to this conclusion. Um, so uh, hopefully we've communicated this, but but our like model platform and development is sort of an ongoing process. Um, in the recent month, we've also incorporated. A lot of different ways to look at optimism data, uh, including but not limited to 
uh, the differences in borrower behavior, um, the, the, uh, borrower position distribution on optimism, liquidity considerations, as well as, uh, how the, how the, uh, global debt pool shares sort of fluctuate, um, uh, in response to, to all of these external factors. Um, and so looking at our dashboard and the ways that we sort of calculate, um, uh, the risks to the protocol, uh, we noticed that some of the, some of the, uh, liquidity concerns, obviously, have been voiced, uh, for quite some time about optimism, uh, were coming to the forefront in the recent, uh, the recent past. And so, uh, part of the reason why we saw this as a good time to increase the ratio, um, was that, uh, yeah, effectively forcing users to have, uh, slightly safer positions. Uh, did lead to significant, uh, decrease in insolvency risk, um, in our, like, effectively worst case scenario sims. Uh, again, not to, not to sort of go too in depth in exactly how we analyze the risk, but we look at sort of 95th percentile, uh, downward movements and analyze, uh, across various users, uh, what the downside risk would be for cascading liquidations, uh, the interplay between self-liquidations, liquidation, regular liquidations, um, and we were noticing there was about a 14 million, uh, increase, uh, if we left the parameters as is. Um, in addition, we sort of pulled the numbers for how much users would need to, uh, increase SNX collateral or burn SUSD. Um, we're planning to add the actual graphs to the, to the, uh, proposal that we put up, but just some rough back of the envelope numbers, um, right now. So if we look at the top 20 accounts across optimism and uh, ETH mainnet, uh, in order to, uh, get to, get to the 450, there would need to be about 90 million SNX added. Um, uh, obviously we'd prefer that than SUSD burning, but, um, for the sake of posterity, it'd be about 20 million, uh, in SUSD burned. Um, and then if we look across the curve for all users, uh, there'd be additional 30 million, um, added, uh, for SNX and then an additional 8 million SUSD burned. Um, again, like, uh, like capital efficiency and the ability for users to, to, uh, have autonomy over their positions is very important and something that we consider. Um, but at this time, yeah, given the, the risk settings, uh, again, this is under the backdrop of a lot of, uh, uncertainty slash risk mitigation strategies around the merge, but, um, that's sort of, sort of our stance. Uh, please let me know if there's any questions. You said recent past. What is the time frame that you're referring to? Uh, the last six weeks. Okay. Got it. And so like, the last six weeks has been materially different to previous times in, in, um, what dimensions? Uh, so we're looking at mostly liquidity considerations. Obviously, uh, starting in May, there was significant drops in, uh, in just, uh, crypto native asset prices. Uh, in addition, uh, something, yeah, the, the recent changes to the liquidation mechanism and the developments slash, uh, how the liquidation, uh, numbers look. So, so we've, uh, sort of talked about ways that we, um, analyze how we can predict, uh, when users will self-liquidate versus uh, get force liquidated as well as, um, the amount that they'll self liquidate for. Uh, and so those sort of adjustments to our model as we get more data, um, have sort of led us to this conclusion, if that makes sense. Yeah.
I mean, this is something that I'm I'm very interested in, obviously, right? Because um, you know, if we raise the C ratio, uh, we you know have some like probability distribution across all of the accounts that are below 450 right now, which I would imagine is you know 90 plus percent of them. Um, you know, you can probably factor out ones that have like sufficient SUSD in their wallet sitting there to cover uh, the, the debt burn. And then once you factor those out, then, you know, you need to work out, do they have SUSD or other stables or something like that sitting around that they're planning to uh, use and move into that wallet, you know, on an exchange or whatever, um, or will they self-liquidate? Uh, and I think unless we have a pretty good sense of uh, what those numbers look like in terms of, um, you know, who's likely to self-liquidate, Pushing us above 400, uh, you know, to me feels, uh, feels a little scary. Um, because, you know, just anecdotally, I, we know there were some large accounts that were, uh, kind of, you know, in a tight spot, uh, around that area, right? Like, um, you know, uh, so yeah, I just, I think we need to, I think we need to be mindful of that and, and we need to, Get a better sense of it. I actually asked a question. I don't know if you guys, or I don't know if someone from Goldman was on the poll last week. I asked a question um, about what was the uh, age of accounts, um, like the median age of accounts that were liquidated during the like mass liquidation um, a few months ago. I don't know if you guys have the ability to pull that data. I don't think anyone else um, pulled that data. I think maybe Caleb and, and a couple of other people uh, have the ability to do it, but I, I don't think it was their top priority um, last week. Is that something that you guys would be able to um, to do? Have you got the historical data of like uh, account age and things like that? Yeah, definitely. I actually think that's something that we, um, we, we've definitely drawn up graphs in terms of like insolvencies and liquidation uh, distributions across different axes. Uh, but, okay. and I think like, out like how much that in assets they have in other uh protocols uh and how often they update their positions these are definitely things that we we've looked at in the past but uh, i can pull um yeah effectively the the time period under which uh, uh how long they they've existed on the snx protocol too um that that's data yeah for the because, yeah so. because my my thesis was basically this right that like the longer you have been staking the more likely you are to have incurred some, you know, significant uh, debt increase from either your own idiocy or like prior front running or like debt pool inflation from, you know, uh, ETH skew or, you know, some combination thereof, right? Um, and that put, I think, a lot of the OG stakers into uh, a fairly dangerous position. Um, and therefore, when, you know, you put a lot of pressure on accounts, those are the ones that break first. And I kind of have a sense that, um, you know, a few months ago when we had that mass uh, liquidation event, that we flushed out a lot of the leverage in the system, or at least like a lot of, you know, I don't know what you want to call it. It's not exactly leverage, but, you know, people who had uh, had become, um, uh, you know, insolvent or, or you know, um, under pressure. Um, and I think if you're a staker that's been around for a month, let's say, right, like, you know, short of YOLOing some shit coins that went to zero or whatever, uh, you know, going in and farming 20% APY or some other idiotic thing you might have done with your money, you probably have the funds there somewhere, right? Um, so uh, it would be really interesting to 
like see what the kind of correlation is between staking age and uh you know liquidation obviously over time it's more likely you get liquidated but we have a, an interesting window where um you know this particular liquidation type right um that we just implemented you know whatever six months ago um is new enough that like you won't have historical liquidations kind of uh interfering with the data so i'd be really curious to see what the um what the data says about that yeah that makes a lot of sense um and I guess I, I guess to make clear too, like the the ways that our our model operates, we might not be looking for exactly that specific correlation. So, because uh, I I think your thesis is pretty logical, the fact that uh, given the recent market downtick, like a lot of the bad bad positions, effectively the ones that aren't up, uh, updated frequently, the ones that are sort of left uh, to to rot, if you will, on the protocol. Uh, those will probably get fl- flushed out and you're left with effectively better positions for, for lack of a better term, right? Um, yeah, I agree. yeah. And that's why I think the network is like less, it has less, you know, systemic risk in it today than it did. Um, which is my argument for why we probably could be a little more dovish on the C ratio. Um, and, and, you know, because remember there was this, uh, concern about like, you know, uh, a pump. And then a dump and, and, you know, liquidations kicking in there because people had minted and run away or whatever. I'm, I've always been a bit skeptical of that, but I'm like significantly more skeptical of it. Um, if we had this data to sort of show that, you know, the issue, the reason why we had so many liquidations was not because of price volatility necessarily. It was like historical, uh, bad debt that had built up in the system that, you know, at a certain threshold was all just flushed out. Yep. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. Because I guess I guess the the point I was trying to make is that our models might be a bit agnostic of the exact features. Um, so so what I mean is uh, we might not look at exactly that specific scenario to understand the current state of the protocol, but we try to take uh, the effective outputs from that feature into account into our models, right? So uh, effectively, we should be analyzing how often these accounts get updated. Um, the the anticipation of of like how frequently they would self liquidate or uh like how much they would self liquidate for uh so yeah in that sense we'll we'll definitely take a closer look try to try to uh sort of uh visualize exactly what you're talking about um but yeah the, we'll we'll definitely uh come back with with uh a, a more sort of structured explanation for the for the uh parameters too. Yeah, cool. awesome. Um, uh, this is a question to other Spartan Council members who are here. Um, uh, what is, uh, can we just have a conversation about uh, this C ratio increase and, and get a sense of um, who's supportive of it? So, uh, go, ahead. go ahead. All right, thank you. Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> go ahead. Oh. Looking at the um, probably the best case scenarios, like there's still probably missing some things like the degenness of stakers, and so their recommendation is probably like a good baseline. I would say with like the recent price action, maybe something a little bit slower might be favorable. Um, happy to hear what other people think. So, so in short, I, I'm not pro this SCP. I think 400 is, is high enough. So 
I I don't think it's anything urgent, and I think we've got a pressure to the peg, so we we don't want to reduce sin liquidity, and we also got just a whole lot of other things happening now with debt merge, with demerge, so just doesn't feel such a as a such a good time. Uh, and I do have one question for Gauntlet, uh, but also I want to just thank you guys for for the data; it's very useful and, and for the detailed analysis. But it seems like every time you guys identify that how to, or let's put it like this, like the only solution you guys are proposing to reduce liquidations is changing C-ratio, but there are a lot of others, other variables that affect the number of liquidations. And Kane already talked about self-liquidations and just observing users, but also the, the liquidation mechanism itself. And, and my question is like, how, how does like the, Liquidation threshold itself, which is which remains constant no matter how much we change C ratio, which probably doesn't make that much sense. And then the liquidation cooldown. Like, have you guys looked, or are you considering looking into the liquidation mechanism itself, itself, and whether that can prove to make the system more solvent? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, so we did uh, propose a uh, update to the liquidation. Um, threshold value as well. Uh, one of the reasons why we think C ratio is the most effective lever is uh, sort of borrow elasticity uh, considerations, right? Um, so one uh, one of the things that could happen, not to say that it will happen in this situation when you uh, update the uh, liquidation threshold or um, uh, or update sort of like flagging rewards, for example, uh, too frequently. Uh, there's not too much, uh, data to, to validate the exact, uh, outcome. Uh, with that being said, we know for a fact that, uh, one of our inputs to our model, uh, is some relationship between an update to the C ratio and the starting position in the simulation, uh, uh, for each user, right? Um, and so, we know that this is one of the more effective uh, levers in terms of managing uh, the outcome of the the risk that is analyzed by our uh, simulation. And to answer your question too, we're definitely looking at uh, updating other parameters uh, insofar as uh, mitigating risk as well. All right, thanks. This would be very difficult data to come by, but. Um... I'd be curious to know what proportion of the large underwater OG stakers who will have funds available to pay off debt, but not enough to the extent that they could actually start claiming rewards again, and are rather sitting waiting to the point where the price of SNX rises to a point at which they would have enough to start claiming again, because that, there's a possibility that there's a large pool of um, funds that are being used in another another source of revenue for them rather than SNX um, reward claiming and would be deployable in order to save an SNX position in the case of a significant drop. But uh, as I say, that's probably quite difficult data to come at without quite deep analysis. Well, so my my response to that is I absolutely agree that one of the strongest leading indicators of an insolvent position or a you know, potentially uh, liquidatable position, and again, this is anecdotally, so I'd like 
you know, I'd like Gauntlet maybe to step in and, and answer whether they've analyzed this. But I think if you looked at the historical liquidations from a few months ago, I would imagine that the vast majority of those accounts prior to the liquidation had missed multiple claims or, you know, uh, like, you know, potentially hadn't claimed for a while or, or something like that. Like, I guarantee you there would be like an extremely tight correlation between missing claims and subsequent liquidation. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know if your model is taking that into account. Uh, but I think it would be, it would be something that even if we could pull out the data and, and look at it independently, um, you know, because obviously my perspective here is that, you know, Goldman comes in, um, they're running models. Um, you know, obviously those models are, are, you know, not perfect. They're trying to take in as much uh, as possible. And then we put that input of Gauntlet's recommendation and you know, Gauntlet's model's recommendation into a different model, which is the brains of the smart council to then make a you know, more nuanced determination as to whether or not we, uh, you know, act on that input, right? Um, and so I think if we had some additional data that we were able to parse, even if it's not included in the model, that would be very beneficial for us. Yeah, definitely. And and I guess to piggyback off of that, um, so this is conversations that we've had with Afif and obviously are ongoing, uh, uh, is ongoing to, to sort of our model development. Um, we've also already begun, again, it's not, not complete or uh, in a format that we can, we can communicate uh, like graph, graphically or visually, but we've begun uh, tagging of accounts and making sure we can identify uh, the things that you mentioned, right? So right now we have a specific process of estimating, yeah, like when users will self-liquidate, uh, how much they will self-liquidate for. Of course, it's incomplete. There's the, the data is still, there is a, is a dearth of data um, for, for this type of uh, interaction, but uh, over time too, uh, definitely open to um, feedback for, for sort of exogenous factors to add to our simulation, right? Because I think, um, given the, the, the way that, that Kane had expressed it, I think is pretty logical. Um, yeah, no simulation can be perfect, but I think the, the intuition that you can gain is still very valuable, especially if we can add a, add a layer of, uh, of, uh, other factors to consider. Awesome. Appreciate that. I was wondering if uh, there's any way to share the data that you feed to the model. Uh, yeah, so I think for most of the uh, market inputs, we um, we can we can add that to the the parameters that we update. But uh, we also in in um, meetings with Afif.
We've got 20 minutes left. Um, doesn't sound like there's any more questions about proposal and gauntlet and sea ratio. So is there any consensus on raising sea ratio? Who's desperate to raise the sea ratio? Just so I know who to kill first. Right. Yeah. We do have some contention. I'll set off the vote. Otherwise, everyone's against it. And there is, it's always good time. I think it's, it, uh, sorry, was that a suggestion that you, you're going to set up the vote regardless? No. I'm saying no, that, I like, think we should. I think we should. I, I, I absolutely think we should set up a vote. Um, uh, let's hurry up. Sorry. There it is. Hurry up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Who did, who did that? That's impressive. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, did you guys you guys set it up? Yeah, we set it up on our end. Oh, nice. Okay. Cool. All right. Yeah, one vote. Only one vote on. So everyone's not voting means it didn't pass. Like, are folks planning not to vote or? I literally voted for everything last night before I went to bed and I just woke up. So my lack of voting as usual is not a signal that um, I don't intend to vote uh, positively or negatively. It has no predictive power at all. Yeah, so there's two days left to draw close. I, I do think it's a step in the right direction. For 50% makes more sense to me than 400%. Thank God you're not on the council. <laughs> Welcome back next epoch. <laughs> I'll leave the voting to you guys. <laughs> Just try to give my opinion. Just long that. <laughs> All right, let's talk about if we're done with the topic of the issue, let's talk about the topic of atomic swaps, if possible. And do it. Someone has something else they want to speak about. All right, so atomic swaps. They started out great. We have, you know, like we had. Um, Good volumes from one inch, and uh, it was a good integration, one inch curve, uh, like uh, combination. I'll bring a lot of volume to synthetics, a lot of fees, and uh, as well as lower that. It's, it's a great combination. Then we had the bad guys show, and they took like the, they took the pile, or was it the punch? So, these guys, you know, like uh, the ones that are arguing atomic swaps, they want mansions too, you know, they want castles. They're not, they're not like evil guys, they just like see a broken product, they exploit it, it's simple. And right now, I do believe that the product is not, not okay. So, originally when we saw that some were targeting it, we were trying to see what was the um, a tag vector, or how, how is it possible that they could make off with money? 
It was one address originally. It was attacking the same block, uh, kind of uh, like uh, what happens on 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 chain is that off chain you have a price. If goes up by let's say thirty basis, twenty five basis, one second. So what happens is that you have some EV bots. They go and they hit unit V3 in a direction to align the price. This is normal. Unfortunately for us, we don't get to read on the latest price. It's not possible. With the low chains, it's not possible to, to get a read on Uniswap uh, current price. Or if it is possible, it can be worked around so that our price is always safe. So what happens is that we're quoting stale prices, one block stale price. And some guys like figured out, okay, they have this issue. Let's see if we can attack it. And one block normally isn't a lot, but, but it can be damaging. And so when we noticed that, we switched to the faster feed. It has lowered the amount of damage, but it still like was, if can move a lot within one block. Say I move my 30 basis points. And so they were targeting that. And uh, now they have, we have two guys that are fighting for the same 5 million per block. And it's, uh, the, the amount of uh, damage that the bed pool is taking on. I've shared it with the Spartan Council and like, uh, with the help of Hatif, I had some, uh, like, uh, questions he raised about how the calculation is impacted by loans because these guys, you know, they will not buy SUSD from the market. They bring ETH, they deposit it into our loan contracts and they take SEF loans or SUSD loans. SEF loans if they want to dump it to short. SUSD loans are the So, what happens is that, um, I've had a second look at the calculation and confirmed it. It's, it works fine. The, the, the concern I had is that I have two calculations running to, to see how much, how much we're, of a hit we're taking on. And the first calculation entails looking at, um, what were the historical prices of each transaction and comparing, comparing it to the current price. When you have that, you know, you know the PMF. It's, it's, uh, as good, as good as obtained. It, it, uh, it does like get affected by loans, but not much because if the guys have to take out, uh, t- take the synth back in the same currency to repay the loan from their wallets, the calculation is sound. I set up another calculation over the last two days because of the concern where I looked at it from a perspective of balance sheet, you know, an account is a balance sheet. When they take in a cent, it's basically debt. And they have assets, the assets are the cent. They have equity, it's their PNL. And you can calculate PNL by just like looking at it block by block or trade by trade or timestamp by timestamp. What's, uh, what's equity? How, how's it going? Going up, going down. And basically, confirm the first calculation. So, no, no doubt about the damage. It's as it, as I shared earlier. And so, okay, next step. 
Uh, we have a few steps in the pipeline, of course, uh, 267, 268. I'm not sure they'll be enough. I don't know. 272 definitely will be enough because it gives us another way to minimize the impact that's uh, affecting uh, the death pool. I think uh, 272, I haven't uh, uh, presented it yet. Maybe uh, we'll do that in the presentation. So um, that, that's the that's the story. What's the what's the uh, latency? What, what's the latency look, looking like? So I've shared the data with Ashif, uh, and on average, it's eight basis points. Eight basis points is the average. But it, like uh, these guys, you know, the bots, they don't uh, they don't uh, work with averages. Then, like if you raise fees by eight basis points, they just like use whatever is above eight basis points. Like if uh, delta is above twenty-five basis points, if we're like seventeen, we raise it to twenty-five. They trigger at let's say thirty. They'll have less hits, but it might help. And um, so, what can we do about it now? We can lower the uh, the per block uh, amount. I'll say something here that all the legitimate trades that we're seeing on chain, like from the integrations, they're below one million dollars now. So five hundred thousand dollars will not block these users. The only users you rug are the guys, the two guys that have no loyalty to status. Zero. As soon as you uh, make it hard for them to get rich, they leave. So it's up to you guys, you know. If uh, you want to take action on this, I'll be happy to set up SECPs, the necessary ones. If you want to, like, continue to wait out and enjoy having lots of volumes and tweet about it and all, fine with me. I've, uh, I've done what I can. Very, <clears throat> so, I mean, first of all, thanks for the very detailed explanation. Um, uh, I've got a few questions, but let's, let's start from the last thing you said. So what exactly is the, what, what are you proposing, the SCP you fired or... I I need some flexibility from you guys. Like, if I do something, um, like if I lower the atomic uh, max atomic volume per block to 500k, and then I look at the data, and I see that okay, the damage is not it's not not extraordinary, or maybe it disappeared because they're stepping over each other, the two guys that are fighting, then. It's fine, but if I see that okay, we're still like losing uh, quite a significant amount of our debt, then we need to like take action. So I do need some flexibility from the council when I make SEC propositions. It's, it, the, the science is not as easy, you know. It's not like you can just uh, look at a crystal ball and like see into the future. It's, 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 it's quite hard. Yeah. Now, what I see is that the uh, latency is around 35 basis. That's 99.9% uh, hard latency. So if we raise fees to 35 basis points, I'm pretty sure we won't see any more volume from toxic. Uh, yeah, but uh, we'll see. 
the, the most of the volume, you know, like 99% of the volume right now are from the two guys that want to get rich. That have no loyalty to the protocol and they just want Okay, so let's just um, zoom out and just ask a very, uh, like, blank question. So we started with, like, I don't know, 500, whatever. With integration, so the volume was... We did $1 billion, I think, or $3 billion on the month of July. Sure. And and that was... But now you're saying, and and volume is even lower, but now you're saying there's almost, like, 90%, like... Volume. So, yeah, right. that, right. there's like just to, you know, like when you switch to the Oracle, the five basis point Oracle, the guys that provided the clean, the cleaner volume, if I can say, they stepped aside because they cannot arb, uh with that. And these guys like, okay, let's try to attack five basis. And that's what's left. All right. Can you and, and remind us why we altered parameters to favor, or inadvertently favor, these two malicious or self-interested actors? Oh, uh, the other parameters, they were even worse on the protocol in terms of attack vector than the first. Like, if we left, if we left, the old ones would be much in a much worse place. It's, yeah, so maybe maybe to, to replay that, right? Like this is kind of you know on some level the history of front running, right? Like you know it, it it plays out across every dimension kind of in the same way, right? You initially have parameters that are fairly lax and no one notices it, and then eventually you know one or two uh, um, addresses start to you know kind of test the edges of is this exploitable. Um, and then, you know, more people come in, you get more efficiency, and then you adjust the parameters, right? Um, and, you know, hopefully you adjust the parameters, um, in such a way that it doesn't impact, uh, you know, normal flow, right? And, and only removes the, um, the toxic flow. Um, but I think in this case, what we've done is made a change that removed almost all of the flow. Um, and then we reset that timeline and, you know, all of the toxic flow disappeared. But now after waiting, you know, like what, weeks or, you know, a couple months or whatever, the toxic flow has reappeared, right? And so in order for us to fix this new, more efficient toxic flow, we'd have to get even more aggressive, um, which would cut even more uh, of the normal flow. Um, and we'd be left with, you know, minimal volume. Um, I think, it, I mean, it's a bit hard for me to reason. Maybe, um, maybe someone can DM me, uh, if, if this is non-public information, but, um, you know, what this PL is for these bots over the last, uh, month. Um, without that, it, it's kind I mean, of hard to. It, it's too late to not have it at this point around this. Yeah. I, I, um, I, just, I don't know what the reasoning is for not making it better, I, I, so I don't think, want to... Yeah, leaving it to speculation. Like, any speculation is probably worse than just sharing the, the whatever the data is at this point. But if and, I may... I'm assuming this is, these, these are estimates, right? Like, we don't, like, these are the estimates that you guys have run based on... Because uh, there is some, you know, variance around, like, price movements and stuff like that. Can so, we see so, the data? So, basically, 
when you have a latency attack, you know, there, there are two 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 uh, divisions out of it. One is that you get a really small delta. You know, this is something that I've shared with me and I've learned quite a bit from that guy. So what he said is like he preferred that if uh, you have a latency attack, it gets closed right away in the next block or as soon as possible, rather than the position left open as to affect the protocol. Now, right now with atomic swaps, you know, there isn't this mechanism in place. And so when someone opens a position to attack the protocol, it's like getting a much bigger delta than the initial delta when he opened the position. Why? Because prices can move in a momentum state and go up significantly or, or down significantly. So the initial um, uh, damage is like 30 basis points, at most 8 basis points on average. But the effective damage is 100 basis at least. Now, 100 basis points on $5 million on many, many trades, you get an idea. It's, it's not a small amount. It's a couple of million dollars. All right. So just uh, a few questions about how you explain the, the problem. What, what really, um, yeah, where I lost you were, was when you were trying to explain that we cannot get to the current price for Uniswap, which found the at least as such. So I, I really need more of an elaboration on that. Like in every transaction, you can definitely get the current price, the current trade between any whatever pair on, on Uniswap. The, yeah, could you elaborate on that? So the question is, well then, uh, sorry, can you, can you ask your question again one more time, please? Yeah, the, the way you explain it was that we never have the current price, yeah, yeah, but yeah, we always have a delayed I mean, I don't get that. Like, with each transaction, you can get the, the price on your yeah. sure, Or you sure. can have circuit breakers, like, if the quality is so much different than what the expectation was sure. on during the transaction. Yeah, yeah no worries. So Uniswap, you know, it's, uh, it's something. It's, it's an AMA. So what happens is that you have, like, orders in place, you know, and someone goes and, like, um, trades it in a certain direction and the price, like, adjusts. Okay, so the oracles that the Uniswap team have in place only gives you an idea about the previous block price. And they did that for a certain reason. Is that because the current block price, it's not reliable. It can be gained. How? By pushing your transaction to the habitable block. So if we do like get a read on the current price at any block, you could be still open to latency attacks when someone um, runs ahead of a price Uniswap price adjustment. And you just have to have the potential gain larger than the cost of getting your transaction at the head of the block. Does that make sense? I I can't make a, a, a hard stance on it because you probably did more research than me, but I find it very unlikely that you cannot predict such a change, such you an attack. Can, you can get the price, but it can be gained. 
by pushing your transaction at the head. I mean, you can get like exactly how much there is in the contract of because every every Uniswap it's a, every pair is a contract and you can check like how much SNX there is, how much ETH there is, and get the price that way. So I it's you can it's, get uh, the price, but it's not but it's not reliable. Like uh, it's okay. not reliable in the sense that you can always run ahead of a price adjustment. But you also have you also take Chainlink Oracle and you compare the Chainlink is like um, it's, it's, it's like several box blocks late. But don't no. you have circuit breakers there? Like circuit breakers would not trigger in case price moves a lot because it needs chain a Chainlink one to move yeah. the price and two. If you get a latency attack, they'll probably play even before price is reflected and therefore circuit breaker never uh, affects or never enacts. Uh, well, we are getting very technical here, but it definitely sounds to me like it could be further investigated and proved. There is no way around. I uh, think... Could I maybe uh, bridge the gap here? I think just what he's saying is if you observe a huge spike, you literally just pay to have your transaction inserted first. And so the live price is by default stale at at that moment because there's no arbitrage in that block has taken place yet. So it's still it will get you the previous block's price. And the issue with Circuit Breaker is that there's no on-chain observable that correlates to a spike like that most of the time. It comes out of nowhere, like then you it's you always are looking back. So you can never look forward and predict the spike before it happens with the circuit breaker. It, it is what Caleb is saying, I think. Does that make sense? Yeah, exactly. That's what I was saying. Uh, well, uh, I know it makes sense to you. Uh, Daniel, does it make sense to uh, you? Uh, <laughs> right there, yeah, but I probably to fall back because... You guys have definitely done a lot of work here and probably have analyzed all such cases. But yes. then, uh, six steps later, yeah, we did. Yeah, another, exactly, I can't really compete with that. But another idea was, you know, you, you said that they are leveraging low and that can't we configure or reconfigure loans so that it's not profitable for them because maybe that's when we can definitely raise loans fees to like, 1,000 basis points if you want, but that it would, does, it's, it's not a long-term solution. That, that V3 is going to have, that, like, yeah. That would drug yeah, other users, one. And two, they, I think the profit is more than the 1% type issue you don't want. They'll, yeah. uh, they'll acquire sense. No sure, but, but we are just, uh, like, playing for, for time now until all the, the free steps, I think, was 60. Yeah. Yeah, so until those three steps are, and you were saying with those three steps you anticipate all the... I think, uh, I think you know, yeah. 72, 72 is the, is the one that will, like, finally move away from no, no slippage trading. Um, so, so, um, so this is a question here. Uh, one the things that we thought is the direct integrations would uh, would help with this because they were using this uh, exchange function um, externally, right? Um, why is it that you think... Uh, yeah. yeah. Sorry, you oh, wait, you can you finish the sentence? To, yeah, you can't answer my question until you... <laughs> um, uh, so 
why is it that you think that uh, like have they changed their behavior or something? Because like you know what uh, what I what I don't understand is um, why these people wouldn't be uh, immediately impacted by direct integrations if we if we block anyone but you know the curve contracts from accessing this function. Yeah, that that was the. That was the question I predicted, you know, and that's why maybe I jumped ahead. So, um, basically, it could work. I have no guarantees that it doesn't work. I have no um, thoughts on the matter why it won't work. But, like, uh, I mean, there, there is, I, I'm not certain if it will work or not work. But what I, what I do know is that we have determined people that want to be rich. And we have like a slippage that's incorporated into curve that they would probably find it distasteful. But unfortunately for us, that slippage is reversible. So if you do a trade as GST to SE, jumping through curve pools, that slippage will be existing in the opposite direction. Unless someone arms the slippage, between the two pools, the exit will still be there. So this is something that maybe is just an idea, you know, an idea stage. I'm not sure if um, this will actually take place on chain. I'm just trying to think a bit ahead instead of uh, being one step behind. Sure. So can yeah. I give like... Yeah. Yeah. yeah please. So... So my take on where we're going with the upcoming SIPs, right? So obviously, like, we've kind of made – in trying to restrict people who don't go through curve, right, we've we've made the flow less economically viable, right? Um, and so the plan with direct integrations is to have a curve integration and then make the, the plain vanilla synth exchange contract have, you know, less favorable fees to, where, to the point where, like, you know, uh, people won't – be attempting it. And so the reason I think Curve is going to be super useful is the Curve integration set is exactly what Caleb just said, but I'm gonna, I'll just take it one step further. Um, basically, if you have a position over a certain size and like that can be kind of configured by, through the liquidity and, and like amplification and slippage in the Curve pool, in the Curve pools, uh, there's basically like an easy arb in the reverse direction. So right now, like if fees are like 16 or 17 basis points or whatever, if you do a trade that has eight basis points of slippage in each pool, if if SETH and SUSD were initially both at peg, eight you know eight, eight basis points of positive slippage on one side, eight basis points of negative slippage on the other, you immediately create an arb opportunity. So basically, what this lets us to do allows us to do is say that if the the position like like it's kind of similar to how I think about our perps markets. Like there's like this, you can think of a notion of skew like within the curve pools, right? And so when traders are net long, uh, net long SETH, let's say, right, then that means that they're bidding a lot of SETH and dumping it for ETH, right? So they're pushing, um, they're pushing SETH below peg and SUSD above peg. Uh, as traders are taking more longs, they encourage that reverse arb for somebody Swap as each just who we are. So what what I like about the curve integra- integration set is one like it 
limits the amount of size that you can use to take advantage of, of any kind of latency, but it also kind of has this, this built-in risk management. Now, why I think we need 272 again on top of that still, 272 is the slippage tip, is because there's a lot of like exogenous factors in curveholds that we can't really control. Uh, like if, like let's say we have this, like all the parameters calibrated so it's a very smooth experience in curve, but then half of the liquidity in curve leaves, right? Now, uh, now it's no longer favorable to trade there, right? Because it's, so in that case, we would say, okay, well, half of the curve liquidity is gone. We need to double or, you know, cut our slippage in half in 272. Yeah. So, and then if the curve liquidity doubled, like that would present a risk to us because it would mean that like the amount of long skew in the curve pool until the ARB happens is larger. And we would say, okay, we want to cut the liquidity in half. We want to double the slippage factor. So 272 allows us to finally control these risk factors. But, uh, but I think like in my opinion, the curve integration step does most of the line work. Okay. That's, that's helpful. Um, so I think one thing that's worth, you know, for those of us who've been here for a long time, uh, fighting this battle, um, you know, this, this, uh, dynamic has played out many times, right? Um, you know, and on some level, it, it's a never ending battle, right? Like, you never, uh, consider yourself safe, um, when you're providing, uh, a, a very good quote for, you know, in liquidity, right? Um, and I think we've been slowly kind of walking in this direction of like, okay, you know, maybe infinite liquidity is not the right uh, size to be focused on here. Um, you know, I, 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 I will just as a very quick aside say, Caleb, I think your data around most of the, uh, uh, you know, um, normal flow being uh, less than 500K um it appears to factor out the early days pre uh pre you know front running um pre toxic flow right um when we had much more permissive parameters and we were seeing you know very large trades go through here so i think there is the potential for very large arbitrage trades to go through here and i would be wary of you know completely cut off um especially once we have the curve integration and can improve those parameters um, just as an aside, just as a quick aside, like I, I think like maybe that is the case right now that like the normal flow is sub million dollars and the toxic flow is above a million dollars, but I don't know that I would like say that that should hold under all conditions. Yeah, um, yeah. But anyway. um, under direct yeah, integration, so. the max, the max atomic volume per block can be, uh, calibrated per integration. Right. So, yeah. so yeah, so I just, so I, think, five million I think it's worth yeah, no, no, I know. I, I would just wanted to call that out because I thought it was something that was staged in a way that implied that that was like just some stru- market structural thing that we thought would hold. And, and I, I, you know, I don't necessarily agree with that. I think that, um, it, it could be different depending on, um, the parameters if, if we can tune it. But irrespective of that, the reality is that we have been fighting this battle for a very long time. It is an exhausting battle to fight. I've been there. I feel your pain. I can tell, um, just from, you know, listening to you talk, Caleb, that, uh, that, you know, this is frustrating, right? And, and it's, it's a grind. Um, but I do think that, you know, as we've kind of iterated on this and, and, you know, come up with different schemes to kind of prevent, 
uh, you know, the, the various attack vectors. Um, we are getting closer to this kind of generalized solution, um, which we've chosen to not implement for, um, you know, normal swaps, but, you know, have kind of done for perps and, you know, different implementations. I think we will eventually get to an implementation, uh, which, you know, practices slippage. And there are people who are price sensitive to slippage and there are people who are not. And, you know, the reality is that normal flow is far less price sensitive to slippage than toxic flow, right? Because toxic flow has like some PNL that they're trying to target in the atomic exchange, right? Um, so I, I, you know, I, I get it. It is very frustrating, but I think we, we just need to, um, you know, we just need to keep iterating on this and, and keep, uh, keep working on it because I think we will get to a point where, you know, we've got the right parameters. Um, Unfortunately, we're just not in an environment where you can exclude, um, you know, toxic flow easily. It's just not possible, right, with, with pseudonymous accounts. You know, if you're in a, a KYC situation, you just block their accounts or cancel their, uh, cancel their account and say, sorry, guys, you can't trade there anymore, right? Um, but, uh, but we can't do that. So we have to come up with, um, you know, incentive compatible schemes to prevent this. And I think that those possible. Um, but it is, you know, like no question it's a slow and painful process. And personally, I, you know, I appreciate all of the effort that you put in to making this work. And I know that it feels like a thankless task, but like it is actually the most important task that's happening right now. Um, and even if it feels like a grind, um, you know, I definitely appreciate it. And I think the rest of the Spartan Council appreciates the effort that you put into, um, you know, fighting this. Um, and it can also feel frustrating as well. I feel like. Um, you know, I, I, different people have been in this position with me on the other side of the table at different times. Jackson, for example, um, you know, JJ, where, um, you see these monsters, right, that are like raging through your, you know, beautiful town. And then you got a guy sitting over there who's like, yeah, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Like, we'll sort it out later. And it feels, it feels very frustrating. You're like, no, I want to like stop this problem, right? Like, you see a problem, you become, you know, kind of fixated on it. Uh, but I do think, as I kind of jokingly uh, said in, in, you know, gov call chat, like, you can't build an atomic swamp without some, you know, toxic waste, right? Like, it's just part of the process. Like, this is part of the process. If we didn't have people attacking it, it would mean that it was not valuable. We've seen what that looks like when no one trades with you because it's just not a valuable service. Um, the fact that we uh, have something that is attackable um, and has value is, you know, kind of demonstrating that uh, there is, you know, the potential for product market fit here. Um, we just need to make sure that we tweak all the parameters and get it working. So it, it's part of the process. It probably feels frustrating that not everyone cares as much about, um, you know, stopping these traders as, as you do. Um, but I think that the reality is in the same way that we kind of look at, you know, all the recommending 450 and say, thanks very much for your recommendation, but we're going to leave it at 400, hopefully, uh, or drop it to 350, um, even better. Uh, you know, this is part of, uh, part of a kind of holistic, uh, governance process and, and assessment of the situation. Like if we tried to prevent all front running from ever occurring, we would already have been dead years and years ago, right? Like you need to have, um, the kind of, opening for exploits by testing these things out and, and putting them out there. 
um, it's impossible to prevent all front running and, and all toxic flow. What we need to do is just respond to it when we see it and, you know, keep tweaking and tweaking and tweaking until we get something that minimizes it. And it may be there's a reality where, like, you're never going to minimize it completely. Like, we've talked about that with perks, right? Like, you may just have to accept that, like, every once in a while there's going to be, you know, a, 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 like, a highly volatile movement, and that's just the cost of doing business. Like, it's just part of what we're offering. It's part of, you know, being an AMM is that occasionally there's going to be some, um, some flow that, uh, you know, is a bit toxic. But, um, uh, again, like, I, I appreciate the effort that you put in. I can hear the frustration um, in your voice. And it's not that um, we don't care about front running and it's not that anyone thinks that, you know, front running is great or we should be trying to ramp it up or whatever. Um, but I just think that, like, there is – this is just part of the process and and you know if we try to clamp down on it too tightly um it makes it really hard for us to actually you know test these things and kind of see where the edges are yeah i i see your point i never uh, the intention to eliminate it all you know and uh, i've been through this for so many years now that i even if when we started with atomic swaps, I was skeptical about it and continued to be, you know, like, never, uh, um, the, I was never convinced that we had found a solution. Yet. And, um, but totally, like, you know, I understand uh, what you mean. The toxic flow is part of the business. Every AMM has to deal with that. And each AMM deals with it differently. And they all kind of use slippage. There is no other way around it. Giving $5 million, uh, no slippage, uh, handle is, uh, is not, not maybe the best, uh, approach at this. And, um, but maybe with the third integration, it would work. I, I remain skeptical, even what, what I see, uh, Try to explain with someone like tries to attack the get hit with slippage. I, I I seriously am like hoping for that this would work as she described, but I'm still like skeptical, skeptical about it uh, even before it goes online because we have like really smart people out there and they're very. Eager to get rich and deploy their time. You don't have a lot of them, you know, and I think we know who they are either. So it's not like they're an uh, unknown organization. With that said, if um, there are no other uh, questions or. Uh, uh, question based on a comment of Diana in the Cool chat. Um, he pointed out that you previously implied that these two primary actors were collaborating. Um, oh no, they were, they were stepping on each other's toes, not collaborating. They were, okay. they were going, yeah. So, so you know, like what I explained is that you have like one, one block, one block where you can attack it, and it's like if you miss that block, you're gone, and I think these two guys, you know, they didn't put in the effort. I don't want to say too much, you know, in public channels. I don't want to help them. 
let's move on to the next topic. 272. Sorry, just one philosophical note or whatever, but like if they can deterministically uh, conclude when they can attack, then you can deterministically know when or how to defend. Like I just can't get around. Yeah, that. sure. If I have a off-chain circuit breaker and um, I'm allowed to use it, I and then yeah. That, I thought we voted that in already. I, I think that's for L2 futures. Uh, well, I was not, I never given permission to I uh, used one on L1. You haven't asked. I I, I did uh, check the sentiments with uh, CCs and I did not receive a favorable. Well, uh, here is uh, SC. Well, here is one SC member saying that I pro probably prefer a centralized keeper than this discussion and everything. Fun this week. Well, yeah, I mean, we if look, I understand the the concern. If we didn't have uh, like what what it does, it buys you time until you get something that's more robust that exactly. works better, exactly. you know. And that, that that that's what it does effectively. And um, but but it is like not not so um, blockchain. It's 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 like off chain, you know. And I there know, are no, get, no I guarantees know that you... I know, I know the traders, I don't see how it's different than the L2 one, and yeah, exactly, we're playing. Uh, if that's a temporary solution and can keep, you know, fight, fight until we have the, the fluid wise solution, I don't see what... How is it different than L2? Uh, it's, not, it's not very different, you know, I love, but I do, like, want to say it. Maybe not, I wasn't like didn't receive positive feedback on it, and then I accepted it. You know, I said, okay, let's try to write some steps. And three, four, five, six steps later, we're here. So one of my concerns with having this for atomic swaps is just because there's so many other things plugged into it. Like if you're in a you know virtual kind of a closed system, um, and so like you can't trade. It's like okay. I can't trade, but I think it, it, if we have this thing firing a lot and, you know, one-inch transactions are failing or curve transactions are failing or whatever, like, I, I feel like it's slightly more problematic uh, and maybe not as good, you know, not as good we are. And, like, we kind of, like, we have other solutions that we're working on, so I don't know if it's necessary to fall back on a, a last resort. Yeah, my... Uh, uh, yeah, fair. Okay, that's a fair point. Um, but uh, correct me if I'm wrong. If we were to um, implement this, um, we could like with direct integrations, even as an example, right? Like if we were to implement this on top of direct integrations, you could have uh, two different routes in theory, right? Like one route that was like capped at you know whatever, 100,000, 200,000, some arbitrary number, um, where, like, 90% of the flow would get routed through on one inch. Um, and they would just need to, like, detect which of, you know, what the size of the transaction was and route it through. And so if you're doing a large transaction, I mean, this happens on one inch, right? Like, I've sat there for an hour before trying to get a, you know, $5, $10 million trade through one inch where it just keeps... Um, you know, bouncing you back and, and says price is updated, you know, retry or whatever, because the front end is 
you know, putting slippage protection on, uh, you know, is embedding slippage protection into the transaction. And then obviously that's being triggered right before the transaction executes. And so it's, it's not even reverting. It's just throwing it back to you. Um, so they do like a final check before submitting the transaction. Um, so I feel like that would probably be what would be most likely to happen in this scenario. It would be able to like simulate the transaction and then throw it back at you without even reverting on chain necessarily. Yeah, I just feel like there's a bunch of ways that it's more problematic on that one. Like, like there's MEV, like gas estimates. Like, you might try to submit the circuit breaker transaction doesn't go through. Like, yeah, uh, I just feel like it's okay. probably not going to be as effective as it is on L2. I, I, I fully accept that. I think um, maybe uh, all I'm saying is I would, if Caleb was discouraged from pursuing that path, I would say it sounds like. There are members of the Spartan Council who are, you know, at least in principle open to it, right? So, like, I would keep that on the table. I'm not saying, like, let's focus on that. I'm just saying, like, let's not dismiss it out of hand. I'm not dismissing it. I'm just giving my... my yeah, opinion. no, I don't, I, I don't think you are. I'm, I'm just saying it seemed like Caleb felt like it had been dismissed by some, you know person in the past, right? And I, I, I'm just saying, like, I don't think that should be the status quo. I think we should, uh, I think we should leave it on the table. It was more, a, more a comment directed to Caleb than anything. I think you could even argue that, like, it's very different that you just pause the system, and I don't see it as contentious, having a centralized pauser, like, temporarily at least, then if you were to, like, slash bad actors, like, that's probably a line I would never cross, even whatever, let's give up your kid there. But uh, pausing under, you know, special circumstances that we have identified can be abused while we work on better solutions, I, I definitely don't have a problem. But I also am fine waiting, I don't know, a few weeks for those SIPs to, to be ready and retesting. Like, however you guys think best together. But yeah, let's let's move ahead with a more positive note and that's the one to take away. Alright. Just have some bit of questions. Yeah. Ahead, I just please. wanna follow back up on another point because I don't know if I covered it at all. Um, with democratizing the attack vector. Uh, so that others are able to act against these people um, have any benefit for us? Uh, well, what does it entail, or what does it mean? Democratize. He means us trying to attack it and then uh, <laughs> taking the proceeds and, and burning it or something like that. Yeah, you know, like that's as as uh, good as like just using the. So, so like it's a fun story, you know. Someone asked me, like, Caleb, why don't you, like, do the attack yourself and, like, burn the money? Who says you don't? Uh, what? No. <laughs> Let's not go back to those days, please. I'm, and I'm burn really the money. That and no one accuses me of front running anymore. Let's not accuse someone else. <laughs> and, and what, you know, like, many, many CCs ask me, like, why don't you, like, front run other protocols? And I say, no, it's, it's just not right, you know. Um, I, 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 they're not black hats, you know, these guys. They just want to make money. But I don't feel it's the right... They're um, absolutely black hats. I'm sorry. They're absolutely black hats. I, I 
100% do not accept. Uh, uh, yeah, like I'd slash them if I could. I'm sorry, like I don't accept that. I see, I see your frustration, but um, in the end, it's the product that needs fixing. Yeah, exactly. Not the, I mean, Gail, I was obviously joking, but if no, you no. Have... What I wanted to say is that I said, well, you know, I don't really need to take all the money and burn it. What I can do is like I can pause the system, and you had the off chance. That's how it came to be. I mean, if you have such, you know, rooms in your protocol or whatever gaps where someone can take profit, they will do that. Uh, yeah, so absolutely. You can yeah. argue it's white hat, black hat. Like, without those guys, probably would not grow the product. And you might get such a point where it's so bad that it really damages you a little bit every time. Just go where it is. I feel like um, back in 2019, I feel like uh, we had this conversation <laughs> years ago, Daniel. We're on the verge of, of bull market as and face hour coming up. Also on the verge of 30 cents as an act to the first of March of 2020. So there are no other questions on this. Uh, there are two... Um, I believe pressing things that we need to discuss. One is SIP 272. Another one is the inflation SIP. So, um, Kane, what is the status on inflation? Uh, do you want to have a second presentation sometimes this this week or next week? Or yeah, I thought I thought it was going to be scheduled, and then I saw the announcement. I didn't. Uh, I sorry, I didn't get a notification. I didn't get a notification that. Uh, Included right. in the schedule today. Got it. Yeah, I didn't realize. I, I kind of, I thought that I'd communicated that I wanted to present it um, this week, last week. But um, look, you know, it's not the end of the world. Um, we can adjust the numbers. Uh, it just, you know, uh, reduces the tonal, um, the, the last 10 weeks of inflation down a little bit. I think also given all of this uncertainty around, uh, um, you know, Atomic swaps and stuff. Uh, another week to let things settle might be, you know, not the worst idea before we kill off inflation. Um, so I'm kind of happy to wait until next week and we can reassess it. No. There was some feedback that, uh, that Daniel had that, um, I wanted to incorporate as well, which I haven't, uh, yet. Um, so, um, I don't know, Daniel, if you want to, um, if you want to have a conversation in DMs or something like that, you can yeah. give me that feedback directly. Whenever. I definitely cool. feel stronger about that back after the events of this week. You feel stronger about, about your needing, feedback? Uh, yeah, like about needing... If you want to put that seat for vote right now and get it voted in, then it should be very clearly stated under which terms it definitely stops. What is it? Like yeah. nine, ten, maybe nine weeks now, it's not ten anymore. Ever. But yeah, 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 especially yeah. because one, one of the points was that, you know, these are like good enough to stop yeah. inflation. And definitely that was put into a higher top after the conversation yeah, we just had. All right. Yeah, for sure. That's why I think let's give it another week and then we can, uh, we can jump back into that conversation after the dust is settled. Should I schedule it for Tuesday then? Instead of Thursday or? Um, next week, you're saying? Yeah. Um, I think, 
Um, let's let's take it offline. We can we can talk about it later. All right. Can, can you guys hear me? By the way, I just like received a notification that I you can hear here, your keyboard. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not touching my keyboard. It's is, probably is my let me. Okay, is it is it worse now? Okay, just go Hello. ahead. Yeah, you need to talk for it to show because otherwise the Discord compressor removes it. Ah, okay, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Well, um, I'll try to switch uh, earphones next time. Um, the the other topic that for today is the SIP two seventy two presentation. So unless there's something else, uh, we can move ahead, move along to it to that. All right, SIP two seventy two. Yes. So that, that took quite a bit of time to get it together. It's uh, not a slippage sip. It's a, a, it's kind of dynamic sheets, but on L1 with with atomic uh, swaps. So what does it entail? It's basically like uh, you have a function. Um, there is like a theorem, you know, that says that you can fit any curve with a long polynomial. So you have uh, like a very, very strange curve. You can just have a polynomial like y equal x plus x squared plus x to the power 3, so on and so forth, and you can fit it. So and so starting from that kind of theory is that where I started is like, okay, since I can fit any curve that I can, have uh, as data, then I can use that to be able to uh, get a read on slippage. And slippage is basically affected by cumulative volume, like by volume, like as traders uh, rack up in a certain direction, the slippage becomes larger and larger. If they go in the other direction, the slippage becomes smaller. So that that's the intuition behind the model is that you have a curve, a model that you fit to slippage data. That slippage data can come from anywhere. It come from can come from Uniswap. Preferably, it's from Uniswap where the price source is, or it can come from Binance. So there were like uh, different fits. It's possible now. How dynamic is the slippage curve? Does it change with time? Yes, but not a lot. I look at data. Uh, prices move, but slippage almost stays the same within a certain uh, price uh, band. So you see, like always, five million dollars slippage, one percent, ten million dollar, two percent. It's it's kind of kind of stable as a parameter or as a as a measurement. Now, what you have here is you have this curve, but you cannot use it directly to get an estimate on slippage because if you do that, then different, uh, this is something that he's pointed out, different uh, amount bands need to lift different slippages. So what you need to do, like uh, if someone does like 10 million, 10 million, 10 million uh, dollar trades and one does 30 million, 
guy who was uh, 10 million, 10 million, 10 million will get better prices. And so you cannot just use a curve. You have to do more. And hence, you have integral. You do an integral on that curve, and you get, basically an integral is the area under that curve. And when you calculate the area, you can get the weighted average price by just dividing by the band of the integral, and basically you got it, you got the price, you got the slippage. So GXY, that's shown in the SIP, that's the slippage. I, I think I went too much into the mathematics behind it, and if it's too complicated, I understand, I'm sorry, it's just uh, maybe one too far, it's quite late here. So, we have a slippage model. It's, uh, it can be calibrated with coefficients, two coefficients, U0 and U1. And it can be done per since into. So what this uh, specifies is a few things. One is that all atomic trades have to flow through SUSD. This is kind of in line with E3, where everything has to go through SUSD. Two is that you have like a ma maximum atomic dynamic field. Like this is like the max slippage that the can be imposed on a tree. This is kind of a safety uh, trigger so that no one gets struck. And you have like the atomic blocks, atomic K blocks. So how many blocks between slippage get reset? Ideally it's one because the, at each block you can assume that the price is fresh on Uniswap at least. So this is something that we will be uh, checking out, of course, once the SIP is live. But that's basically it. You have a model where you can calibrate to fit any slippage. You can provide better than Uniswap, Uniswap slippage with it by just simply diluting the parameters U0 and U1. So if you like fit the model to Uniswap, and there's a repo there that tells you how to fit it in. Anyone can learn it, and it gives you the parameter. Um, if you fit it to Uniswap, you can just like multiply the parameters U0 and U1 by like 70%, and you get 70% better, uh, uh, or 30% better slippage than what Uniswap offers. 50% you can get better than Uniswap, Uniswap slippage by 50%. Or you can use curve, for example, whatever. Either way works. It's uh, very flexible in allowing us to kind of cater the slippage person. And with that, I think we can reactivate also. Like if you have slippage and if it's significant, well tailored, then you can have Azure, for example. You can have whatever other synth that you wanted that we cannot offer at the at the moment because of infinite liquidity uh, matter. And this slippage is calibratable person. Um, up to questions. If there are any, of course there will be. Yeah, so no, I'm not going to go into the mapping. No, possible, but how, how much of an uh, edge do we keep, or like rather how, how attractive are we still offering best rates with this yeah, I guess that's sure. to come, right? Sure. So the parameters in G1 and G1, they can be calibrated to 
um, gives as much edge as you want. If you set them to zero, infinite liquidity. If you some, set them to something above U0, U1, you can like see how much slippage Uniswap provides, how much slippage you provide, and you can play with that. And it's uh, quite flexible in a way that it gives better prices for low volume, and you can like tweak that to how much volume you want to give better prices. Like you can, you can fine tune it, what I'm saying is that if you prefer to up to $1 million this much slippage, it can be fine-tuned to, to that extent. Uh, of course, as you get farther and farther away from zero, it becomes harder to fine-tune because you don't have enough uh, parameters. You only have U0 and U1, you need more. But for the sake of simplicity, I chose to just do two parameters. U0, U1. But if you want U2, U3, U4, you can get better fine-tuning of the model itself. I think currently, with the current uh, current model that's proposed, it's more than sufficient to handle any AMM on-chain. If you look at Uniswap, you know, you, uh, like uh, this, this figure is kind of the, uh, the, the main one. Uniswap is like a line, you know? So it's Y equal XK, and that's Uniswap V3. So the slippage goes up with the, with the amount of volume almost one to one proportionally. Not, uh, it's not a curve. It's direct uh, y equal xk. So with that, you don't need a lot. You, know. you can you can get this kind of model um, with the two parameters that are in the proposed in this. All right, sounds good. Are you more bullish on the topic swap switching? You know, like no, I'm not bullish. I'm I'm probably relieved. Maybe we finally have something that can be tuned so that it limits. In the end, you know, like atomic swaps will not stop something. It's not that, but it will kind of limit the damage to the extent of uh, slippage imposed. And probably it will make the black hats go away and they will be replaced by MEV bots. And what I'm hoping for is that, you know, like these MEV bots, they're not like, like, let me try to give an example of it. Imagine, imagine you have a Uniswap uh, V3 pool. And imagine that Uniswap V3 pool is like uh, not five basis points, it's negative. You'll get uh, screwed. And that's what we have currently with atomic fiction. Because the guys that trigger, they trigger at, advantage, at prices that are advantageous to them. You know, always, consistently. And for five million dollars. That's what we have right now. With this, you'll get more into the okay. There are some positive fees that goes into the trade, and hopefully that leads to less uh, 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 less damage on the protocol and a better product as a whole, because it allows lower volume to 
get away with uh, lower fees or lower, uh, yeah, lower fees exactly. Given that all trades are going through SUSD, is there a fee impact on going from, say, SBTC to SE uh, that one wouldn't experience if going from SUSD to SE? So with this set, you only need to have to go through SUSD because you have to like get the slippage curve for SBTC from the calculation and then you get SUSD and then you can do a second trade. You can batch them together, you know, like you can make a contract that batches them together. But the fee, you know, is like base fee plus dynamic fee. This dynamic fee is based on directional volume. Base fee is based on uh, whatever we set. And SUSD has zero base fee. And SUSD by itself doesn't have any dynamic fee. It's another thing. So if you go from SE to SBTC, Basically, you have base fee of SE and SBTC and the dynamic fee on board. This is how to work. Is there possible? And I don't know how much work this would be, but only if it's a low amount of work to add a graph or a picture of how that formula moves slippage. By volume, just for like, uh, yeah, that's uh, if you think of it, it's, I, I don't want to like add a huge burden. No, I, I showed it in the channel, but it's um, it's a GitHub uh, link. Oh, okay. Who exactly is it who's profiting on Uniswap from this? Because you you mentioned this, this occurs on other AMMs. It's just that there's small random trades that kind of counteract the loss. So so Uniswap, you know, like one is that uh, what, what they need to do is need to get a price. They need to get a price. And how they get a price is based on the composition of the LPs. We don't need that. We get our prices from oracles, you know, and our debt is flexible in a way that it can fit any possible asset. So, uh, with that said, um, um, Uniswap, they have like that, uh, they have composition, you know, and what they do is that they uh, incorporate slippage into the trade, and so as someone uh, wants to align the price that Uniswap LPs have with the external price, they'll have to trade it. And they'll trade like as soon as an opportunity arises. Now, five basis points uh, fees, I think, is on the low side, but maybe it's compensated by having higher amount of slippage incorporated into the trade. Um, but maybe not. I don't know. What I know is that Uniswap, the three LPs are not like in the best kind of world in terms of return on money. And the reason being is that maybe the fees will not, does not compensate for the toxic flow that they have. But, you know, like the toxic flow that we experience is like just more, just much more significant than the one they experience because they have slippage and we don't. 
So if we had like a bit smaller than case, would be like a Uniswap e That's it. Well, I guess that's it. There are no other questions. I'll uh, wait a few days and then I'll set up the vote on and it. Why do you need to wait? Uh, because uh, because we have to deal with. Um, uh, I set it, I'll set them up tomorrow, but I have to like kind of work a bit on what, what else can we do with uh, with the current atomic swaps to. Until we have 267, 272, and I want to kind of think it out tomorrow. Well, just curious about has implementation started. Uh, 272 implementation hasn't started. The engineers haven't seen it, so no heart attacks yet. I'm sure, like, when DB sees it, he say, why are we doing this? Why so many parameters, you know? But we'll 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 get it uh, we'll get it done. I think it's uh, it's a simple simple implementation is a the direct integration because it's the function is really simple. Yes, like you got the cumulative volume. I, I think I wrote the, the pseudo code for it or the the workflow of it uh, in the SIP itself uh, in the form of uh, like you start here, you do this, you do that. You can check it out. I'll, I posted it uh, in the. Of course, chat. This is how it works. Well, you should just go ahead and write the code. Yeah. <laughs> uh, probably, <laughs> I, 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 probably I, I'm, I'm getting to that point. Eventually, I'll get it. Probably, I'll start integrating. I like to go to our contract. Cool, thanks. But just a thought there, and it might not be applicable because you already prepared uh, the, the flow, uh, but I, I think it does make sense to run a SIP by CCs before presenting it to Tartan Council just to get kind of a ability check, like if there are some deal breakers. Yeah, yeah that kind of makes sense what you're saying because like when, when we were discussing the direct integration set with uh, CCs, they were like, okay, this needs to be kind of different. And then we came back to the original set. There was a lot of back and forth. And um, I'd expect the same to happen with this one. Maybe there would be like a... I did like um, get uh, good feedback from QCCs, Arthur and Keith. And so I do already have like kind of a uh, endorsement, if I can say, indirect or uh, unofficial endorsement. Yeah, I mean, then you did run it. Yeah, I did run it, of course. So why you said it was it? Alright. Okay. No, I, I didn't run it through the guys that would be implemented, which would be probably DBM Mark. Alright, let's call it a day. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Caleb. Appreciate it. Thanks.